For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. I'm Tagen Layton, new folks, the guiding uh, teacher at Ancient Dragons MD. I'm very happy to have as our speaker uh, this morning, visiting from Vermont, Aksho Yohan Austin. Aksho is uh, originally. He has been Tonto at Eagle's uh, Farm at Rastafara. Uh, he recently received Dharma transmission from my Dharma sister, Bushrader. So a number of you will remember Haksha from when he was with us here at the in Chicago for about six months in 2016 as a priest intern. So Aksha's an old friend. It's great to have you back, uh, Aksha, and uh, thank you for speaking. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I I didn't want to see myself <laughs> so big, but if I uh, uh, remove the spotlight for everybody else, I apologize and feel free to to put me back on there. Uh, it's it's a great uh, honor and joy to be back at Ancient Dragons and Gate in uh, knowing this capacity, uh, which is convenient. And uh, I wish I could be in the Zendo with some of you uh, who I know and, and those I don't. So as Tegan said, my name is Hakusho Johan Ostland. Um, and uh, I uh, spent yeah, 2016, six months in Chicago uh, at Ancient Dragon, and most of my Zen practice was carried out at San Francisco Zen Center. And for the last three years, my wife and I have been living in Brattleboro, Vermont, uh, where I now run the Brattleboro Zen Center. And so uh, this morning, I do want to talk in relation to the Dharma transmission ceremony that I went through during a three-week period, tense period at Green Gulch in July, uh, the summer. Um, and a little bit about that, but most of my reflections uh, on, particularly on our first two Zen ancestors. Um, so unlike other ceremonies, um, yeah, most of the ceremonies in the Zen tradition, uh, what's a characteristic of the Dharma transmission ceremonies are that most of this takes place in uh, rather privately um, inside the room uh, term. Some of the ceremonies I was doing with two attendants of going around to the different altars uh, twice a day and offering incense and bows. Um, uh, some ceremonies, several were just with my teacher and, and um, uh, some of the pivotal ones, uh, they were with the teacher and an attendant uh, and a, an assistant preceptor. Uh, a characteristic through all the ceremonies is uh, a lot of bowing. 
A lot of bowing. I counted uh, that I uh, most days did a little over 200 frustrations. And while about half of them were spread sort of throughout the day, there's this um, one uh, particular ceremony, the Busurai, um, where you offer incense and recite the name of each uh, ancestor in our lineage and do a full prostration the end um, so that uh, I, I think that one with the bows before and after and, and so forth came out to a little over a hundred um, um, and but um, much all these bows are, are to the ancestors uh, a lot of them and uh, throughout the ceremonies and, uh, and the bodhisattvas um, I must say that as this daily ceremony of the Busarai was private. There was the temptation of, uh, of cutting corners because nobody would notice anyway. And uh, uh, something that I needed to practice with to uh, really embody the practice wholeheartedly, and not just in public, but in private as well. Um, so uh, in this experience of uh, doing this basically three weeks of prostrating to the Zen ancestors, sweating and with aching knees and sore back, uh, part of it, tired, getting up early. And either overwhelming experience was just how incredibly supported I felt by my teacher, everyone at Green Gulch and the whole valley uh, really was, though the ceremony paradoxically was mostly happened, you know, in private with one or two or three people I really felt like the whole valley um, there was supporting me through this um, such generosity, including the great horned owls and coyotes and quail. Um, uh, so with this in mind, I want to talk about, as I mentioned, the first two ancestors in our Zen lineage, those of Mahakashapa and Ananda, because as I was prostrating, I, uh, got another sort of sense from why they might be our first two ancestors, actually, um, and how they collectively, uh, together, embody the tradition of Zoda Zen in uh, beautiful ways. Um, so Mahakashapa, first ancestor, um, is known for his austere practices. Uh, it's said and the trans transmission of light that he practiced the 12 austerities, never wasting any time throughout the 12 periods of the day. And um, how other monks, um, seeing only the shabby appearance of his worn out robes, uh, they were uh, suspicious of him, uh, that maybe his practice was too, too strict, too stern. Um, so the Buddha is said to have affirmed Mahakashapa's practice and seniority, maybe as he was noticing the suspicion um, by having him seated next to him. Um, uh, if you see statues of uh, Mahakashapa, he's uh, you know thin, sort of bony. You see the cheekbones just really sticking out and uh, a bit intimidating. Um, so we might, may find ourselves suspicious of the strictness of Zen, the discipline, 
its forms and the uh, emphasis uh, it places on posture and uh, disciplined bodily behavior. Um, my own experience, the first time I went to a Zen center was that that was all that I could see, really. Um, and so I turned away. Um, I, I was only uh, really partially in my second encounter with Zen that I warmed up a little bit. And, and the third where I uh, found something that I stuck with. Um, so these austerities of Zen, of our tradition, um, may give rise to our suspicions. Um, and with that in mind, I think uh, it's noticeable that in our Zen tradition that uh, Ma Kashapa is, the first, is our first ancestor, that actually uh, the discipline that he embodied in his practice in some sense comes first. Uh, we take care of our Zen forms. Uh, as I was back at uh, Green Gulch after having been out of residential practice for several years, um, my teacher was um, uh, pointing out to me that um, my practice, uh, some of my embodiment of the forms have gotten a little slack uh, away. So my gosho was, uh, you know, just there was just a little turn, you know, it wasn't quite upright. So it's correcting that. My mudra was, as I was sitting in Dokusan, was just a little off. So there's, uh, there's uh, this attention to the forms. And um, uh, I could see those little uh, suspicion, you know, impulses of suspicion. But, but you know, aren't, aren't you paying too much attention to this? And, and then... Um, uh, or give me a break or something. But actually, um, what I found was um, that uh, it really made a difference. Yeah. So I could notice how the slight difference from here to here just energized my practice and, uh, and brought a mindfulness to it that wasn't there quite before. Sisuke Roshi says in the first chapter of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, that uh, to take the posture of zazen is uh, already to attain the right state of mind, and there's we don't need to do anything other than that. Uh, you don't need to go looking for it. You already have it by taking the posture. Uh, so there is a different quality of mind, I think, from this gasho to 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 this one. Um, and what Suzuki Roshi's statement also suggests to me is that we make this sincere effort to embody the forms um, best that we can and uh, remaining aware of, of how we're uh, preserving them, caring for them. And, and while doing so, we also relax. Uh, there's no need to do anything else, actually. Uh, there's nothing to try to add beyond that, really. Think, simply take the form of Zen and and try to stay there. And when we wander off, we, we come back. It's it's um, it's remarkably easy, and yet uh, over time, uh, it's been my experience that the wandering off may lessen. So, 
the story of how the Buddha entrusted uh, the Dharma uh, to Mahakashapa is um, uh, it's really the beginning of Zen. As I'm saying, is read it to you here. It's um, famous at an assembly on Vulture Peak before a gathering of eighty thousand. The world-honored one held up a flower and blinked his eyes. No one knew his intention, and they were silent. At the time, Mahakashapa alone cracked a slight smile. The world-honored one said, I have the treasury of the true Dharma eye, the sublime mind of Nirvana, which is the fully clear and signless Dharma gate. I entrust it entirely to great Kashapa. So what um, what happens here? Uh, how, how would you respond if you were in among the followers, the eighty thousand followers, on, seated in front of Shakyamuni Buddha, and he held up a flower and, and blinked his eyes? For me, uh, I imagine being part of such a marvelous event. And having the Buddha simply do something as ordinary as, as holding up a single flower uh, and blinking. Just the thought puts a smile on my face. Um, certainly. However, uh, if I imagine that I was actually sitting in the assembly uh, and what I might have done, it's quite likely that I would have been caught up in wondering What's the Buddha's intention? What, is, what does it mean? What is he trying to teach us here? Uh, and getting confused by all that, busy with my own thoughts, uh, I would have missed the, the, the simple joy of just the Buddha holding up a single flower. <clears throat> so I, it's um, among 80,000 followers, The one, only one who actually smiled was the monk whose practice was so austere that it led others to be suspicious of him. Uh, I think that his discipline practice supported him from getting caught by his own thoughts and ideas. He might have well have had those thoughts and ideas too. I think he did not get caught by them. Uh, he was able to sit just in Zazen posture, fully engaged, but also relaxed, uh, relaxed enough to be able to, to crack a slight smile. Uh, so again, this is, this is the beginning of Zen. Um, it's uh, maybe the beginning of Zen, and it's also, uh, I think, not, might not be all of Zen. Um, our second ancestor, Ananda, provides a, a, a beautiful uh, counterweight uh, to Mahakashapa's austerities, I think. Um, in Sanskrit, Ananda has the meaning of uh, jubilant or joyful. Um, the transmission of light says that those who saw Ananda were joyful, uh, so that became his name. Um, his appearance is uh, much warmer It did not arise uh, any suspicions from anyone, as far as we are told. Uh, everyone seems to have liked Ananda. He was kind, 
generous, uh, joyful, and and smart. Um, it's also said that he was incredibly handsome. Uh, that his handsome handsomeness was unmatched throughout the sixteen great kingdoms. Uh, I think the way I read this is that if someone embodies the qualities that Nanda embodied, uh, it will make them more beautiful. Um, it is uh, something attractive about about uh, that. So, and in contrast to Mahakashapam, Ananda is generally depicted with a gentle smile, uh, round his cheeks, and uh, yeah, just not scary looking. Ananda is also called uh, foremost in hearing, as he is said to have been blessed with this uh, miraculous power to be able to listen attentively to every single word that the Buddha said and to remember every single one of those words. Um, uh, unlike what we're doing here, um, where this talk is recorded uh, and um, may well be available for as long as uh, their human life on this planet in some capacity, uh, the Buddha's teaching was for the longest time not written down. Uh, it was given in that instance. Um, if you weren't present, you missed it. Um, so as the sutras start with, thus have I heard, um, that is Ananda speaking. Uh, however, uh, this um, incredible capacity to retain everything um, that the Buddha said was also perhaps in some ways a hindrance for Ananda. I'll get into this. Um, actually, his, um, his awakening story from the transmission of light um, uh, suggests this. Uh, we're told that um, the Venerable Ananda asked Venerable Kashapa, um, Brother, apart from the world-honored one's transmission of the Kashaya, a gold brocade, what is it that was transmitted separately? Kashapa said, called Ananda. Nanda. Ananda answered, yes. Kashapa said, toppled the flagpole in front of the gate. And upon this, Ananda greatly awakened. So, up until this point, um, some commentaries suggest this, that Ananda may have been too intellectual in some ways. He, in his devotion to the Buddha, he may have relied too much, actually, on the Buddha's words. Uh, this way, his greatest strength, his unerring capacity to retain it all, um, also became his weakness as a baggage of sorts. Um, so even here, he's asking Mahakashapa, is there anything other than the Buddha's teaching? Anything that I have missed? Um, uh, so, anything other than the Buddha's Dharma taught? And Mahakashapa responds to topple the flagpole in front of the gate. Um, it was uh, mostly common at this time for... Um, when uh, there were teachings and debates for uh, the flagpoles to be raised, if there were two people debating, there'd be two flagpoles, but somebody was teaching. 
the flag raised. Uh, afterwards, be taken down. Um, Akashapa's response is telling Ananda that the sermon's over, uh, but that he's still occupied with it, you know, preoccupied. In Zen, we talk about uh, jumping off the hundred foot pole. Um, I think this is what Akashapa was encouraging Ananda to jump off the hundred foot pole, you know, to leap clear of what he already knew. Uh, to practice with the beginner's mind. And, and it seems uh, that Mahakashra was able to stimulate this uh, leap of Ananda's. So I think this story, both of these stories, they tell us something about uh, teacher-student relationships in Zen as well. Uh, just like uh, in the story of the Buddha holding up a flower and Mahakashpa smiling, um, in the story between uh, Mahakashpa and Ananda as well, the teacher doesn't give uh, the student anything that they don't already have. However, um, by practicing with Ananda intimately, uh, Mahakashpa knew that Ananda's greatest strength was in the end also his weakness, uh, what was holding him back. Uh, and so he was able to challenge him in a positive way uh, to demonstrate this to Ananda. Uh, uh, and uh, we're still bowing to Ananda uh, 2,500 years later as a, as a result of this. So, however, there's also, the, the Buddha is said to have transmitted this, the Dharma, first to Mahakashapa, and then from Mahakashapa it was transmitted to Ananda. Um, it also, in other places, says that when he transmitted uh, the Dharma to Mahakashapa, he also entrusted it to Ananda and told him that he should assist in its propagation. Um, I appreciate this parallel story um, because I believe it tells us that uh, while, while discipline comes first, in one way, actually, Mahakashapa's discipline and Ananda's uh, warm-hearted kindness, uh, these two really go together. Um, this is, I think, what Suzuki Roshi means with uh, his expression that we should have Hinayana practice with Mahayana spirit. Uh, my students of Zen um, were challenged to embody the wisdom and compassion of, of both of these ancestors. And we don't get to be disciplined curmudgeons first for 20 years and then uh, start to show some genuine kindness and concern for others. Uh, and for this, this really was my experience back at, uh, at Green Gulf Farm Zen Center as I was going through these ceremonies. Um, it became uh, abundantly clear for me that my discipline in engaging in these private ceremonies, uh, not cutting corners, um, though tempted to, was uh, actually directly related to my capacity to absorb, absorb the kindness and generosity that was extended to me. Uh, had my effort been half-hearted, my experience of the joys might not have been quite as bright either. 
So, um, of course, as we are practicing in a non-residential sangha, as you do, we're in Chicago as well, and uh, I'm still adjusting uh, as a teacher and a leader of a sangha to like what is um, um, what is the appropriate way to um, to relate to our Zen forms and ceremonies and uh, sort of the discipline of our practice. And um, I think in a good development in many ways, um, Zen in America has uh, really expanded to have um, sort of a Mahayana practice with Mahayana spirit uh, that we're, uh, I, I sit Zazen, predominantly on a chair because of some physical issues I have. Um, so there's the, we've broadened the gate in many ways, in many wonderful ways in, in the West for who gets to um, engage in this practice. Um, it's not just for young male uh, monastics, but um, to, 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 for nobody to be turned away for lack of... Um, um, capacity in some ways. So we're, we're, we're adapted Zen in really positive ways. And I think too, that, um, we, um, within this Mahayana practice, we want to, uh, it, it includes the Hinayana, uh, practice the the, um, these, uh, these forms and ceremonies, um, still at, at the heart of our tradition and to not, um, to, to really honor them the best as we can and make the, um, make genuine effort. And, uh, though I didn't cut corners in my, um, um, and, and cheat, uh, I, I did have to adjust slightly how I was uh, doing all these frustrations just to take care of my body as well. Um, so, uh, there is uh, the the strictness of Zen uh, can really support us and uh, and help us to. It's something to relate to and to try to be to the extent that we can follow the forms. We're kind of it, it's some insurance that we're on the path. I think, and when we're needing to, none of us, you know, will ever be able to do this perfectly. Actually, and so. By uh, doing our most sincere effort, we will notice our own limitations, and that is where we need to um, um, figure out what what's appropriate for us to do to take care of ourselves. Uh, so we're kind of forging our own path there a little bit, um, and I think that's a, uh, those are precious opportunities as well to try to take care of. Uh, of the forms and this, uh, one's own body and mind at the same time. Um, so, those are my thoughts for um, for this morning. Wonder um, if there's any questions or um, comments, or do we chant first? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we'll have questions and discussions now. Is anyone uh, online? Just 
Can you hear me? I was just trying to signal that the, I don't know if it's the articulation, I don't think it's the volume, but or it might be the, the, the software or something, but anyway, it was hard to understand the words that were being spoken. Hope you were able to hear Top Show, and uh, we're, we're working on our uh, audio visual audio system here, and you know, it's improvement. And so I, I just wanted to call on anyone in person here in the Lincoln's Presendo or online for comments, questions, responses to Top Show, and Top uh, Show's coming to us from is somewhere in Vermont, and so we're, we have a very wide people in New Mexico and California and lots of people online. Uh, so, in Michigan, please feel free. Comments, questions, responses, option. And yes. so if Peter is pointed here in the room, please speak very loudly and clearly so people online. Just to start with a word from my Dharma brother, you can actually spotlight a second person. So if you want to spotlight the questioner, so you have um, thank you so very much for that talk. Um, so uh, it's really timely for us, I think, because we are uh, in, in a kind of consolidation moment here and both sort of tuning up our forms and adding more of the of the, the Buddhist liturgy and, and, and starting to do a monthly Bodhisattva ceremony. And just attending to the, the uh, and attending to the form of the form, and at the same time, we, we very much want it to be a, a, a welcoming, warm, um, warm community. So, what, what happened for you when you went the first time and you decided decided that maybe this Zen thing is not for you? And then, what are what are ways that you that you like, tread that that balance in in your in your own sangha now? Yeah, thank you. That's a that's a good question. Uh, I think the, the first time I my body wasn't ready to sit cross-legged, and that was the only option I was given. So I felt uh, somewhat tortuous um, to be expected to sit still um, when I really couldn't. Uh, took me a while to learn to sit still, and uh, I found a home with the Tibetans instead because they were more. <laughs> more relaxed, uh, Tibetan Buddhist. My second Zen experience, I uh, was more positive. Um, I, I, however, I resisted, I really resisted the form of, um, let's see, good, you can hear me. That's, I'll let the rest of you handle the rest. <laughs> uh, I, I resisted the form. Um, it was a warmer environment. I felt more welcomed and, and generous So that, um, I didn't resist uh, the sangha in some ways, but I, I would not. Um, I would not bow to my cushion. I, I somehow there was something in me that kept me. I just had this resistance. I felt that um, that was why would I be bowing to a cushion? Uh, and I'm, I'm actually really grateful that um, the place I was uh, I was at the Hendo in India um, that nobody came to me and said. You're doing it wrong. Uh, you should be uh, should be bowing there. So it was only my last 
day. I was there for a little over a week and did a meeting session uh, where I realized that actually what there wasn't the form that was ridiculous. It was my resistance to it. Um, <laughs> so as I put my hands together and, and bowed, I, I, I found uh, actually I it, it kind of felt good, um, surprisingly. And, and so this is, I'm sharing that experience because I think that is one that has been helpful as I'm, as Eno and Tonto and, and, uh, and leading a Sangha now to like, to not try to coerce anybody into the forms. Um, there's the balance of, of um, trying to help people to understand what they are and to have, um, um, to get to engage in them with the Sangha, um, but to not be coercive. Um, so I, I think, too, and my appreciation for the forms is one of the things that they can bring is, um, is a sense that we're doing something together, which um, in most of our, uh, those experiences are r- remarkably rare. Um, um, I just had a walk with a friend the other day who, who was not drawn to Zen, but he's looking for something just for that sort of, essentially that sense of community of, of, of really doing something together, being part of something greater is what's missing. And so I think the forms can really, really help and support in that way. And, um, should say too, when I, when I went to ancient dragon, um, seven years ago, I, there was such a, uh, sense of being welcomed into the family immediately. And I, I think a part of that is because of sharing a tradition, sharing, you know, teachings that we look upon uh, and are guided by, but also because we share these forms. Um, so, I don't know, if that answers your question. Those are some of my thoughts. What your name was? Longxi. Thank you so much. Um, I was extremely touched. Um, I am a multi student, and I also oh, I also practice uh, Buddhism um, when I was in Colorado and when I was in China. And in the Buddhism teaching, they actually say our age now is end of the Dharma because nobody really. Pay attention to this. I think it's true. In my peers, everybody only focus on the fall and all this entertainment stuff. It's so hard to find anybody in my generation to study this. Uh, I'm so glad I have one of my friend up here. Actually, she introduced here. We're all studying uh, Northwestern. And when I come here, I realize there are so many people doing this. I was like, there's just no language I can express this. I can say this Dharma pleasure, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm able to express So This is a meaningful thing. And I'm so glad there's still people in this world doing this. And I'm so glad to meet you guys. Here. So thank you for all. Mm. <laughs> thank you. Hearing your joy, I, I feel the joy in my chest too of uh, like, we really should be happy about this uh, and, and not forget 
how precious uh, what a precious opportunity it is to to study the Dharma, um, to practice Zen together. So thank you for reflecting that. You are welcome, and please again. Thank you so much for your talk. Um, and I just wanted to say, I remember when you were here in 2017, and I very much appreciated you then and now um, for the simplicity of focusing. You know, like when you your talk today, it, it's like you're talking about the form and our struggle with doing the form. And it's like the form in and of itself you know, you become aware of it's useful rather than getting into a lot of teachings about the form or, or you know, it's it's like it's interesting the physicality, the doing uh, things in unison, um, learning how to be a community that shares certain traditions, you know, um, is very useful in terms of. Uh, a sense of rudeness uh, or a sense of we're about something similar. So I think trying to get back to that simplicity is very useful. Yeah, thank you and great to see you, Kathy. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think it's and uh, there's constantly. Like what, what you're, what we're doing here right now, right? Of, uh, of having half of you in the zendo and half on Zoom, and and uh, you know each zendo you set up is different. And uh, like, what is the, what are the Zen forms in any sort of giving setting in place? It's um, uh, it's not always clear, but um, but I think it's we like we try to make our best sincere effort. Uh, to embody them, and, and that is, uh, they're helpful for, for bringing that, our sincerity uh, to the forefront. I'm, especially when putting my robes on, I, um, there's, it's an effort involved in that. Um, and, uh, and it's also, I'm, I try to remember it as I'm putting them on, that it, it's also an opportunity to remember why I'm doing this. And so I think that's another aspect of the forms too, is that um, might put us in touch with our, um, uh, why we're studying Zen and and why we came to this, to sort of um, an opportunity to touch our our best intentions as well. Thank you. I see the Asian has her hand up, and then perhaps David Weiner. Akasho, thank you for a wonderful talk. It's so great to be able to see and hear you on on our Zoom world. And um, my heartiest congratulations on your Dharma transmission. I was struck by um, kind of the distinction that you make in your talk between... um, sort of setting up standards of your of your own, you know, whether it's with a mudra or with maybe resistance versus 
needing to sometimes modify the forms because of your physical or sometimes, you know, in our case, logistical limitations. And I was wondering if you could share more of how you um, make that, you know, how you discern, you know, when when it's appropriate to do so and, and when it's setting up standards of your own. Mm. Yeah, my my experience, my particular example in, in Dharma transmission was in doing all these prostrations that my my back was getting more and more sore. And it felt like it was actually starting to show up with some sciatica. I was getting a little worried. And um, it was like, I, I think I need to make some adjustment here. And, um, and what I... I think where I started was I, I could also see like when that pain would come up, it would that there was a temptation to to do the form sort of quicker and sort of rush through it to 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 get to quicker get out of the discomfort and pain uh, and to be and to be less aware and present and so I, um, and what I. I did instead was to sort of go the other way and and to slow it down to pay extra attention to what what was going on and what exactly was challenging me and what i found to some surprise was that actually the prostrations were okay because as you're plunging down there's a there's an element of rest in there too um but i was also i was like at the at the bowing mat doing a standing capping bow after the prostration going up to the altar doing a standing bow offering incense stepping you know there was these three standing bows um for each prostration and and i think there was something about i have a fairly tall torso in relation to my legs too there was something about that constant movement that was hard for my back so i had to stop doing most of that and instead i would go up to the altar just standing at a show and take a breath um when i would otherwise be doing a a, a bow uh, and and i found that in sort of needing to step out of the form but trying to embody the the um the meaning of the form uh I, it was actually became a more intimate experience because I, uh, I I couldn't quite do it, but I had to make this adjustment. But uh, because it wasn't, you know, it's easy to do those bows just habitually. And when I wasn't doing that anymore, there was a, a, a deeper uh, reverence that came up in my own limitations. Um, so uh, thinking too of Johanko uh, Gomura sharing his story of having practiced as this young monk who could do everything and then having really injured himself and, and, uh, and no longer being able to do so and how he was judging his practice. And he said, Oh, actually all those years I practiced with the arrogance of, of, of youth and good health. Um, and sort of, and, and what was his practice really worth um, when he didn't have that anymore? But, but he had cultivated the faith in the practice during that time and could sustain it and, and embody, had to embody the forms in a different way. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I think it's like, are we trying to make something easier for ourselves? Uh, 
So, or, um, uh, are we, um, this is opportunity of needing to step out of the form of, of still trying to embody the meaning of the form to express the, the significance of it in some way, I think maybe is the difference there. At least it was for me. Thank you very much. Uh, David Weiner, I think your hand was up next. Uh, if you would unmute, please. Uh, David, if you would mind unmuting. Talk about remembering forms. When it comes to computer, I never remember the form, <laughs> proper form um, for the computer. It's so good to see you, Hakusho. Um, I want to thank you, uh, Asian, for your question, and thank you, uh, Hakusho, for your answer, because like you, I have to sit in a chair and sometimes feel I'm not doing it right. You know, I should try to push myself to sit on a cushion on the floor. And doing the prostrations, sometimes I do them slower. I'm, I'm looking. I'm still in prostration while everybody else is standing up, you know, because uh, I'm going at, at a speed that's, um, that my body can do. Um, so I thank you for your answers that, you know, it's, it's sometimes not so much what we, the form itself, but what we put in the form, our intention in the form, rather than maybe our physical ability to complete the form. Um, but I want to share with you your talk reminding me I'm actually still at Loyola and I'm taking a class on sacraments and liturgy. And though it's all about Catholic uh, sacraments, we're actually looking at ritual itself. And it's just interesting. Uh, when you were speaking, it just came back to me what I learned in class. Uh, and that is that ritual uh, allows us to carry on the path. And it, it takes away the necessity for words. And then also it takes away the necessity for thought that you just are part of the ritual and it just carries you along. And I think that's um, what you're saying is just so meaningful to me that let the ritual, let our forms, our God show, maybe with, you know, I'm going like this, maybe if I went like this, that it would help carry me more along and just and to pay attention to it. And to pay attention to how my form is and how my mudra is. Are my thumbs touching or are they separate? You know, uh, and, and let it carry me. So, uh, I, your talk was a great reminder. So thank you very much for that. Mm -hmm. It's so good to see you. Good to see you too, David. Yeah, that's, we're, since I lived with you seven years ago, we've both gone on this path of, uh, of chaplaincy. Uh, so, I, uh, of course, I, I share uh, share that path with you uh, as well, and those those forms and, and needs for uh, yeah, it's got its own. It's a profession with its own forms, and and uh, and to some extent, that's um, 
we got to make them up as well. I, uh, I have appreciated, I'll just share it with you as a chaplain, but the, the practice of sanitizing my room before I go into a, a visit a patient as a, as an embodied practice of, of stopping uh, breathing and, and really feeling my hands as I'm doing that. And, and same when I'm coming out as a, as a form uh, that I've adapted into my, uh, my work life that, um, again, puts me in touch with my intention of, of why, I'm, why I'm going in and, and who I would like to be in that room. Um, so there's, there's opportunities to, uh, to develop our own forms in our own lives and, and to see what, um, whether they support us or not. Um, yeah. Um, going on to my chaplaincy in that vein, uh, also, it's kind of like when I, in, I'm in front of a room, I stop for a moment, take a deep breath, and say, when am I? You know, am I here in front of this room walking in to see a patient, or am I thinking about tomorrow, or am I thinking somewhere in my childhood, or something? So try to make myself present. It's a little ritual I do for myself in chaplaincy. And part of what you're talking about in the forums is, is self-care. That You have to take care of yourself because if I go into a room and I haven't taken care of myself, how can I take care of somebody else? And that's important. So yeah, there's a lot of, I think, um, connection there in, pra- in chaplaincy practice and a ritual about being present. And, and acknowledging these are all ways for us to be present and drop off all the accompanying unimportant and not necessary thoughts and 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 uh, and feelings. So, so thank you. Good luck in your chaplaincy. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, can you hear me okay? So uh, you all inspired me to share this. I just uh, spent nine months in San Francisco with the Zen Center. And one of the reasons why I went there was because I really wanted to study under a lot of very experienced people and have the opportunity of conferring with a lot of experienced priests and I got all that and I was really interested in making sure that the forms I was practicing were correct in our tradition because I'm ordained by Cornelia Schonkweiler and when I moved to Mississippi I needed to practice with a sangha, so I studied with someone who had done some Shunryu Suzuki study, but basically he was in the Matsuoka lineage. And I had lots of different scripts of absolutely every step of the way in the physical forms going through my mind. So I put myself in that position. And then I had my 81st birthday while I was out there. And so I was so fortunate because my teacher now in that tradition, since my 
ordaining teacher retired, is Susan O'Connell. And she was absolutely, totally patient with me the whole time. And I learned so much from her. But the other thing was the Eno, Brian, Brian Clark, was extremely supportive and patient with me about learning all these chants, all these bells, everything, everything. The only thing that still made me terribly anxious, because I don't know if any of you are are this old, but it really is harder to learn new abstract sequential scripts than it used to be when I was about 50. So I had to do lots of extra practice to remember what I was supposed to do. And I had was terribly, terribly anxious about putting on my robes. The only thing about San Francisco Zen Center's clarity was that absolutely everybody had different ideas about how that should be done. <laughs> so I got lots of good teaching, but none of it very helpful. And finally, I got so tired of being the very, very last one of leaving the Zendo, I just put my bowing cloth over my arm and just walked out every time with everybody in their timing. So I just wanted to say all this because I have been a professional dancer and still am all my life. So I'm just now really learning because I learned a new way of working on my toes to come up from my prostrations. And some of us have problems with our physical body in the forms, but some of us have problems with our mind and the memory aspects. So I don't feel like it hinders me very much, except for the anxiety I feel if I feel like I'm holding people back. So um, I just wanted to share that as another aspect of this. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I, I applaud you for uh, your commitment to uh, learn to these forms and, and to embody them and, and uh, at, an, at an old age uh, where it's, you know, remembering them and having it stick is, is a little harder. Um, uh, it's, um, and, and yet uh, also to not go from there, oh, it's hard, I'm not going to do it, but to I hear you sort of doubling down. I'm like, no, really, you know, I, I seems like I need to work a little harder on this than than, than some others. And uh, and I think in making that effort, there is uh, bring bringing that that's an opportunity to bring extra sincerity into your practice. That when I was learning these, I was in my twenties at that point. I I it was maybe a little easier, but but it also missed a. Uh, missed opportunity to to have my really evoke my sincerity. Yeah, so I'm I'm inspired by your by your challenges and, and willingness to meet them. Have her hand up. Yes. Good morning. I want to start by just saying thank you for the Dharma gift. And um, one of the things that came up from me um, here is um, practicing in my own space. 
I have um, sometimes I feel like the forms for me are a bit um, have a tendency for them to to resist it a little and also feel a bit lonely in my practice of the discipline and forms here. But this morning, um, listening to your sharing, it really opened up of what a rich community within the physical forms themselves, you know, the two early ancestors, but also when I am practicing a form, there is so much community, so much support there. Um, and so I really just want to say thank you for that. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I think Zoom is, of course, this Zen is a tradition that's been passed down. We we practice together, right, in the same physical space, the same, you know, one body next to another. And, and uh, Zoom in the last few years has really changed that quite a bit. And uh, uh, the, it's it's been, to some extent, it's been a little more like my experience during Dharma transmission, where I was doing these bows by myself, and nobody would, other than me, would notice whether I was doing them or not, right? And so we, uh, there's some ways of, of sitting with your camera on when we're sitting zazen. So you know, if you're moving around or whatever, it's you kind of know that there might be somebody not noticing you, and that's an encouragement to to sit still. And uh, I think also. You might find what, what are there some in an actual physical zendo you're there's the forms of you know getting to your seat and walking into the space and so forth and and that's already i think those are really helpful for um uh for helping to s- start to settle and become present and aware of, of where one is and so i felt too and and sitting zazen over zoom adding and me like a little incense offering before sitting down for that was a, a it's a good form for helping me to settle so it's, it's been another area where the last few years we've had to shift in some ways and, and find ways to um yeah it gives us some choice um to do what's helpful for us you know what that's that sort of stepping off of the needing to step out of the form but finding a way to uh, maybe express the meaning of it in some way. Anyway, thank you for your question and compliments. We have time for perhaps one more. Includes the people in person as well. Anybody else? Comments, questions, responses? I want to say it's wonderful to see you, Naksha. Congratulations on the Vermont Sangha and carrying the work forward. So I really appreciate that and are both inspiring and, and kind of compliments each other. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.